who's actually a friend, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about career mapping in a post-COVID world. Uh, Anthony's an expert in this in this area, and we're going to learn a lot. So without any further ado, Anthony, do us a favor and introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, so my name is Anthony Vaughn. Uh, a lot of people call me AJ, and so William, you can from now on, you can call me AJ as well. Um, uh, a little bit about myself, I guess I'll give you the the 92nd here, I uh, founded a few companies early in my career, uh, one at 19, another at 21. So from 19 to 26, was an entrepreneur, uh, spent a lot of time building brands, doing a lot of great work, um, made a ton of mistakes when it comes to people operations and leadership. And actually one of those mistakes ended one of my companies. And I can explain on that another day, possibly. And um, <laughs> uh, behind the scenes, started studying a ton about everything under the sun of employee experience, neuroscience, psychology, People operations um, went in house about five and a half years ago to become a head of people. Started speaking, started a podcast, um, was furloughed during COVID. Started uh, the E1B2 Collective, employees first, business second, uh, which is uh, which houses about four different projects with a lot of different partners. And our goal is to improve the world of work. And I'm back at that entrepreneurial seat, and uh, I just love everything to do with employee experience and. And, and really trying to uh, extract truth and, and bring that truth to the, to the world of work. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we've had many conversations and, and uh, you've expanded my horizons. So let's, let's first, before we jump into the topic, on the employee experiences you've been uh, learning more about it, what do we get wrong in employee experience? And it's probably multifold, but what do you, what do you think is like the simple thing that we just get wrong? Uh, not enough context. Um, I'm a big context guy. I thought about actually naming a company called Context, even though that's probably a really bad name. I suck at names. Um, but uh, I just don't, I don't believe we go into uh, individuals' uh, context enough. I don't think we individualize experiences enough. I don't think we uh, respect uh, that the diverse nature of, uh, of an employee, whether that's, you know, the, the diversity of the way that they think, they act, they execute, um, where they want to be in their careers, um, how they want to experience the, the workplace. Um, I don't think managers do a great job of contextualizing their leadership styles to the communication preferences of a team that they're leading. Just everything to do with context, I just think, is where we get a lot of this wrong. I think we generalize things. I think we read headlines and blogs. And I think we try to put in place what Google or Amazon is doing within their organization from an employee experience perspective. And I think we try to take those best practices and inject it into our organization without contextualizing it to the people that we have. So um, it's what's interesting is uh, this gets me back to Zappos uh, when, when they were really popular and their culture was really popular. Everyone tried to make their culture Zappos. And it's like, OK, it worked there barely. But <laughs> the fact that it, you, you know, you're not going to be able to take it on the road. I love the, you know, highly personalized, the idea of just how do you make individualized and highly personalized. So thank you. And I know you're, you're studying that and you're learning more and more about that every day. Career mapping. Now we're going to talk about post-COVID. So we wave a wand, COVID's done. How should practitioners think about career mapping? They should think about it in a very simplistic way. There's a lot of complex areas we can go in. I'll try to keep it really simple because I'm really a simple guy. Um, I believe co- post-COVID, you know, 
pre-COVID, no COVID, I don't care what world we're in. Um, when it comes to career mapping, I think the number one thing that every single uh, employer should do is really understand the goals of the individual uh, long-term in their career. And they should put together learning and development initiatives, IDP initiatives, um, manager support um, and just as, as much support as possible to match and reach the goals of that individual employee. And so for what me, if, what, real quickly, though, please, what if, what if, I mean, I don't want to say young in my career. Hell, I'm 52. I, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. What if, what if the person doesn't know their goals? That, and then you turn into a coach and I'm a big fan of that as well. Um, if, if William, if the employee wants that. And so something I've become, I, be, I yeah, yeah, something I've become a lot more excited about and honestly better at is, you know, with my, my most recent employer, I thought everyone thought about life the way I did. You know, I actively right. work on myself constantly. I'm actively thinking about goals and aspirations. Right. And, um, and then you ran into some people that don't think that way. Exactly. I ran into, you know, I'll tell you the truth here. Um, my, my dear mother who raised me to be, I think, a decent human, um, she's very cool and great with a consistent, well-paying day-to-day job with, yeah. with no yeah. other adjustments, no necessary contextual needs, no yep. path that she needs to take. She just needs to be able to pay her bills and spend time with her children. And, um, she doesn't really expect much or doesn't really want much. And it's something that a lot of, uh, a lot of people actually want. And so uh, that's the answer, I guess, to, to your question, which is if, if you have a, a staff and employees that, that don't really know where they want to go much beyond the work that they're doing today, you can either A, be a coach, and maybe we can talk about that, or B, if they don't have the desire to, to kind of want to do more, be more, or, or, or strategically navigate something, I think you kind of turned into a um, a passive a passive pinging of hey I'm here for you and we can talk about that and you just try to make the day to day as contextually amazing as you can. I love that. When we talk about career mapping, most people that have studied HR for a long time will think internal mobility. Uh, you know, in some in some way, whose responsibility is internal mobility? Or even career mapping, who's, is it the employee and uh, is it their responsibility to map out their career or is it the companies or is it kind of a, you know, a partnership between the two? I think it's both. So I think, I think, um, so I have a, I have a company called Beyond Resume and a lot of that work comes around a lot of the things that we're talking about. Career mapping is one of the 18 categories of this thing I had that's called the core 18 and one of those things is around as a professional, I believe it is your job to understand exactly to the T where you want to be at the end of your career, potentially, maybe not, potentially, or at the very least, I think you need to understand maybe where you want to go in the next three to five years and what are the tasks, the projects, the mentors, the relationships, the things that you need to be able to get to that goal. So I think that's the work that you need to do as an, uh, as an employee and as a professional. And knowing that... If, Go ahead, please. No, 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 no. Don't finish your thought. Now, I was going to say, knowing that information, then I believe it's on the organization to, number one, the head of people who I think is really responsible for this, of setting the stage from a strategy perspective, should be seeking to understand if that employee has that information um, on their person. Like, do they actually know 
where they want to be, what they want to do, etc. Once they find out that that individual does know, then I believe it's on the head of people to then say, okay, it is my job, it is my duty, it's my responsibility, it's my deliverable to figure out how in the next 15 years, if you want to get to X, what can we do as an organization to give you some learning moments, to give you some contextual moments, to give you some support, to give you some, some, yeah, some support to be able to get to that inevitable goal. Um, so I think it's a, a 50-50 mesh of it starts with the, the professional and then it starts to actually start to roll over to the responsibility of the organization and more specifically the head of people and direct managers and things of that nature. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question um, and, and, and respond as you wish. But career mapping, at least historically, sounds like a privilege. And it, it sounds, and, I, and I'll speak like a white male thing, that, that historically in succession planning on the other side of this, um, we've we've t- taken the top talent or the or the A talent or their high performers, high potentials, and we put them off to the side, and we've we've done a lot to kind of make sure we understand their career progression. Which again, in my opinion, has probably been a mostly white, mostly male type of thing. Now I'll stop there, and first, whatever I got wrong out of that, go ahead and kill it. Uh, but where does where does career mapping in the future? Where does where do we get it right? Because if I've got it historically right, or, or close to right, how do we fix that in a post COVID world and get it right? So tell me again, so I'm understanding the question because I know that was definitely loaded. What what do you? Th- <laughs> what what are you saying as far as what you believe the current POV? Is, is right now. So I, I think I think when people think of career management uh, and they think of career mapping, I think it's uh, historically it's been the people that are the high potentials and high performers that have been coached uh, to to think about you know because they want to retain that talent, they've invested in retaining that talent and coaching that talent and getting that talent to stay. And so they've interacted with the, the succession plan. And so they've companies have taken a more active role in, in those people. And when I say those people, historically, and I'm going back 100 years, you know, historically, those have been mostly white men. Mm, okay. I and see. If I have, and if I have that right, again, we can argue. If we have that, if I have that right, Okay, how do we how do we blow that up and make career mapping for everybody? So I think that's interesting. Um, I think you have that right. I think um, I think a couple simple things. I think number one, you shifted to the original point of view that I shared, which is it's not just your high potentials. Which again, let me let me be on the record by stating, let me throw my former CEO cap on. I understand the business the business case for that, right? Like that's something that I think a lot of HR folks that have never had a C-suite level or a, a, or a CEO level or any other level type role, which they never understand, which is it actually behooves the brand to pick out the high potentials that are making a really big dent and impact on the bottom line. It actually behooves the brand to put a lot of resources and energy behind them. 
Very similar to what you see in the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, etc. Right? That's you see them putting a lot of effort behind LeBron James, not so much behind John Franklin. I'm I'm interested in who you pick. (laughs) Right? I don't even know of another person to name. That's the that's kind of the punchline, right? Like now, do I believe that's right? No, because here's where I believe that's wrong. If you look at the Warriors, let's let's go along with the sports theme. If you look at the Warriors, and for those that don't know, you have a Steph, you have a Steph, uh, you have a Steph Curry, you have a Kevin Durant, you have a Clay Thompson, really big players at the time. But what 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 the the coach also did is they put a lot of career mapping, a lot of learning and development, a lot of attention, a lot of IDP individual development planning efforts around this guy by the name of Draymond Green. He was a uh, third round pick, undersized guy, pretty slow, not really skilled or talented in any specific area. But what he was really great at was around vocalizing uh, strategy around a play, leadership, other little things that were so subtle and so slight. Now, in your example, William, we would have ignored Draymond. We would have ignored him. He was not a high potential. There was nothing clear that connected him to the bottom line and the success of the team. But what the coach actually did is they put a lot of energy behind Draymond and Draymond actually became the number one reason of why they started having success because he was the mesh and the gel. And so I think kind of connected to my point of view, what we can do to make it simple is across the board, there needs to be IDP plans, um, career mapping initiatives, really contextually understanding the skills and the strengths that are that are nuanced and micro and smaller, not just high potentials across the board, because you never know, you may have some hidden gems, some Jurymon Greens living inside of your org that could really make an impact on your innovation, that could really make an impact on noticing things in the marketplace that they could bring up in a meeting that could really make an adjustment on your product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't know if that was a good answer, but. Oh, that was a fantastic answer and example. Um, tactically, where, again, post-COVID, where should practitioners start career mapping? Like, give them some advice on here's how to actually make this real. Post-COVID, whatever hybrid model you're using, here's now how to actually make career mapping work for everybody. Uh, for your listeners, what's the typical size of organizations they're working at? It ranges? Yeah, it's everybody. Okay. Um, I'm going to give some advice, try to give some advice to everybody at scale, but uh, my background typically is for organizations no larger than five to 700. So let's say you're in that spot. Let's say you have, let me actually, I'll make it practical here because I believe number one, tangibly, tactically, the head of people should be setting the strategy. That's number one. So they should be setting the strategy around this. They should be saying to their 35, their 67, or their 100 managers saying, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to have individual one-on-one conversations, not a survey, not a, not an all-hands meeting. We're going to literally send our managers that are running teams of 10, 20, 30, 40 in each department. We're going to send you guys out via Zoom because that's the way the world is working now. We're going to have one-on-one conversations, not a survey. And William, you know a lot of people are foot putting surveys out to the world, trying to collect the data, trying to collect the point of view, trying to check the temperature of the org. I want to do it reverse. We can do the surveys another time. I want to have everyone go out tangibly, have one-on-one conversations with every single direct report. And I want to get a test. I want to understand and get a pulse on what percentage 
actually have any sort of an idea of where they want to be long term within their careers. And, and, and I want to get an idea of any possibility of those that are right now that could be potentially a Draymond Green that maybe maybe there's not a real clear high potential for them in the org long term. But at the end of the day, before I start ranting, I really just want to understand through those one on one conversations where are we at right now when it comes to the people in our inside of our organization that genuinely knows where they want to be? They know exactly what we can do to support them. I want to get that information about how we can support them. I want to track that information whatever way you want to. There's all different types of technology out here to track it. And then what I want to do as a manager and as the head of people leading these managers, I want to make it a, a responsibility, a, a, a KPI, a, a deliverable that every single manager guides and creates individual plans for their teams to make sure that they start implementing some of the best practices around supporting their careers. That could mean putting them on learning and development tracks. That could mean you know creating a contextual IDP plan. That could mean giving them opportunities to start to shadow and jump around and be a part of different, uh, different parts of the business and start to taste and feel and experience different things that could mean maybe going outside of the org and creating mentorship programs. Um, I don't know. There's a lot that you can do, but it starts with those one-on-one conversations. I know it's not scalable, but it's it's contextual. And there's going to be a lot of data and nuances there. I love it. All right, two questions left before we roll out. One is, how do we know in a post-COVID world, how do we know that we're doing career mapping correctly or right? How do we know? Is it metrics? Is it analytics? Is it something that you're looking for in the employee population or or as a leader? You know, like how do they know in all their efforts and programs and things that they're doing? How do they know that they're getting this right? I'll do a really simple one. This is where I think the survey comes in. <clears throat> so I think once you do a lot of that contextual, deep, nuanced work, I think I think you put together a really comprehensive, detailed survey that has some really great questions involved, and and some and all of those questions would inevitably lead to uh, the following outcome. You know, are we are we doing a good job of not only hearing and understanding where you want to be long term and short term within your careers, but do you feel like we are contextually navigating uh, those desires and supporting you as the individual? And and whatever that data says will give you a good understanding of, of how people are feeling tangibly about that. And then, again, if you look at the data, you're realizing that not a lot, large percentage agrees that you are giving it your best shot. Then that's where you can start to have some of those more contextual conversations again and go back to the drawing board and figure out the, the nuances and the reasons of why. Um, so I think that's where like the, the surveys come in place, the, uh, the MPS scores come in place and things like that. I love that. Okay, last thing I want to get your take on remote work and then the the crossroads with remote work and this hybrid model, work model that no one really has figured out yet. Uh, Post-COVID, how do you see career mapping being being different in, in a remote work environment? You know, William, I may throw that back to you. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't have a great answer for that. I don't have a great answer for that, unfortunately, because... Um, one of the biggest insecurities for me right now that I'm, that I'm itching to kind of change is I'm not in house, you know, I'm doing a lot of consulting, I'm doing a lot of project work. Um, and I'm actually changing this. So there's two companies that are actually, and this is another tip that I would give to anybody as well, which is like, I'm actually volunteering my efforts to kind of go in house for a period of time and be a part of someone's world, the company's world. 
a few times a week um, for the next three months. That's cool. Yeah, because I I, I want to start because I, I won't be able to give a really good answer around the re- remote working situation and how that affects an organization of a thousand or five hundred at scale um, unless I'm really in there. So, do you I, have any thoughts I though? I don't I, I don't know. What I've learned so far from practitioners that that as they're struggling with remote work and hybrid model is 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 what you said earlier is I think you care enough to ask the question. So as a recruit uh, or as a candidate, as an employee, you find out like what are your goals. And if they don't know, then you you know ask them if they want to be coached in that way. And then, then you contextualize, you highly personalize, you, you individualize a plan for them to get them to a place, whether or not they're in Buda, you know, Budapest or, or, or Detroit, it doesn't really matter. You've still got to care enough to ask and, and then personalize, do all of those things. So I, no one's got that, no, definitely no one's got career mapping uh, right, but most of HR and I think most of the executives are still trying to figure out how to go back to work, quote yeah. unquote, back to work. And so no one's got that figured out. But I just wanted to see, or I wanted to check to see, you know, um, it, career mapping when we're all sitting in, you know, in an office together might be easier because you could just walk down the hallway and talk to Sally uh, about things, uh, whereas opposed to Sally being in, you know, Detroit or whatever. But um, but but at, at the same time, really, really quickly, William, you know, one thing sure. that just popped in my mind, which um, I probably should have started with and said is, you know, it actually makes it a little bit easier, though, you know, in a remote world, because, you know, yeah. one of the biggest I things around. Yeah. One of the biggest things around career mapping, as you know, and you mentioned it earlier, is is, is the mobility work. Right. I mean, if if, you know, if you are I'm trying to think of a simple example, like if you are someone that like if you're an HR generalist and out of nowhere, you uh, have the opportunity to have that conversation with your with your direct reporting. You're like, you know what? I think I want to get into like copywriting. I think I want to like be a part of the marketing team. Like I've been fascinated by Sam Parr and the Hustle, which is like a email newsletter startup company out of out of San Francisco. I, I've been listening to their podcast, and I think it's so fascinating. I know nothing about it, but I would love to give that a shot. I think now more than ever, being in a remote world, it takes nothing to schedule a meeting with the CMO or some of the copywriters that may be on your team and your staff and have them set up a 20-minute Q&A and have that person be able to ask some questions and really get a better understanding if that's something they want to get involved in. Um, I think before, you would have had to been in the same office, you would have had to try to schedule a meeting, would have had to deal with all those different complications physically. So I, I think I think the uh, the re- remote world allows the mobility work and the the the, the curiosity you know, sniffing around, seeing what the opportunities are. I think, um, I think it allows it to be a little bit more nimble. Right. I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anthony, I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for coming on and schooling us a little bit. And, uh, I just appreciate you. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. And for everyone listening to the recruiting daily podcast, I appreciate you. And until next time.